Rusty Quill presents. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cloud Broadcast brought to you by Minerva Starling Searcher Solution. Ordered a Minerva Solution but just can't wait? Through patented Minerva's telegraph technology, you can now see exactly where your solution is as it races to you in the Starling Satchel. Minerva Starling Searcher Solution uses invisible wireless waves to radiate to the Minerva's dirigible mothership as it oversees each shipment in the city of Selene. Minerva knows what you want, even before you want it. Minerva Starling Searcher Solution. Save your regrets for tomorrow. Maddie Minerva, the youngest of the Minerva sisters, pulled a towel from the warmer and offered it to her daughter Maud as she stepped from the bath. Maud relaxed into the warm towel, lost in it as the blue lotus softened her to the plush tendrils of the fluffy terry cloth. As soon as she was dry, her mother had ready some warm winter stockings, a simple pleated skirt, and a cardigan with a Minerva's M in gold crest. Maud, there was something we were waiting for. For the right moment. And we think today is that day. Anyway, she's going to ask you for you. After your ordeal, it was only right. Maud didn't understand, but was a little too drugged to ask questions or to notice the unusual seriousness in her mother's voice. Some nice, simple, dark shoes slipped on with a shoehorn. Her hair dried and brushed out. A dab of blossom oil, and Maud looked pretty sharp in an almost academic sort of way. She must mean her Aunt Millie. Millie was always in a hurry, rushing about. Not a bad aunt, but often serious and occupied with work. She gave great gifts and straightforward advice and treated Maud like an adult, never talking down to her or using baby talk. Maud loved that about her. But she could be very stern and unforgiving and was more ahead for business than family. Luckily, she had her incredibly sweet mother, Maddie, who was quick with forgiveness and a hug and was mostly not too sensitive, but sometimes was a bit quick to cry or take things personally. Once, when Maud was little, she snapped at her mother and Maddie fell apart completely. Maud felt such a horrible sting, she never did it again, continuing a great Minerva family tradition of swallowing any upset and going quiet. For all the opulence of the Minerva empire, her mother Maddie loved simple joys, like a new flavor of tea and a delicious biscotti to dip in it. When she wasn't working, she would read with Maud on the runner's seat in front of the giant picture window overlooking the city. Maddie's work was a bit different than Millie. Maddie was endlessly creative and daydreamed to no end, 
This made her a sort of tester for all the Minerva Solutions products. Millie would go over the ledgers, look at amounts and sales and overhead costs of operations. Maddie would review the prototypes to make sure it met with the standards of being functional but fun and also a novelty, signature Minerva style. This had Maddie sometimes running around the headquarters in a buoyant swimming outfit or dressed as a giant bee or sometimes being chased by escaped racing porcupines. But then Maddie's stamp of approval and it was off to market, delivered by one of the many starlings. Maud never knew where they all came from. She imagined a small army dreaming up the latest solutions and pitching them ideas in the boardroom above. That was what the floor upstairs was for, where the Minerva Solutions brass operated. And Maud was never, ever, under any circumstances, allowed to go up there. Maud had no urge to resist her mother or to even ask what had interrupted her lunchtime bath or why they were off before having tea. But there they were, standing in a gilded elevator, her mother inserting a small key into the control box and pulling the switch for the floor above. The elevator started with a jolt. And then, as it stopped, Maud felt weightless, just long enough to float and close her eyes. And Marietta gave a little flick of her tail, and Maud smirked. Her mother looked a bit concerned, and Maud reached up and touched her just where her temples were graying, and the light wisps of hair were curling around her ears. Her mother took her hand, kissed it lightly on the back of her fingers, and the doors opened. A long, shiny floor of marble stretched out in front of them. As far as she could see, the Minerva M emblazoned in a great seal, just past the seal was some kind of map drawn into the floor. And as Maud got closer, she realized it was a map of the city of Selene. Along each wall to the left and right were several ticker tape machines hammering out their little tines, and the keys seemed to correspond to the map in the floor. At closer inspection, she realized the streets of the map were open little slots and tiny metal arms with little black buttons on the nib floated down those streets. The ticker tape machines were guiding a mechanism that was silently gliding the arms along. There were easily a hundred of them. It took her only a moment to realize that the little buttons were starlings. This machinery was tracking the movements of the starlings through the city, by telegraph or wireless, somehow. She had never felt the true size of the Minerva Empire before. But to see it laid out like this, this constant flow of commerce through every corner of the city, it made her feel like some all-seeing eye floating above it all in the clouds. She never realized that Minerva's was present in almost every household and business in Selene. As a starling, had she been tracked? Is that how they found her when she was kidnapped by the Duncans? Maddie hurriedly led Maud across the floor, the concern on her face growing into slight worry. Maud stumbled behind her, taking in the streaks in the marble, the long recessed lights that gave the room a subtle glow and the smell of something in the air she couldn't make out. At the end of the room, just past the moving map, they came to a set of ornate double doors, varnished cherry wood with two swooped handles. Maddie took a breath. Okay, kiddo. 
She pressed the handle. It swung down. A latch mechanism freed itself, and the giant doors silently drifted open. There it was, the smell, smoke, some kind of tobacco flavored with something. Was that apple? It was almost too sweet for Maud, pressed her sleeve against her nose. Mother put her hands on her shoulders and maneuvered her in front, onto the expensive rug that covered the floor into the vast, open apartment. This one also had a floor-to-ceiling picture window like hers. She could see into a walk-in dressing closet with three standing mirrors and an endless wardrobe with hats and dresses and fur coats. The main room was squared with several velvet couches and a dining table and an elaborate decanter, like a contortionist in glass, splayed atop the table filled to the brim with Merlot. A slender figure in an ornate chaise lounge, a gray shingle bob, a lace headband, long arms extending a silver cigarette holder tipped with a hand-rolled cigarette, a monocle over her right eye, deep maroon lipstick and matching nails, silk shoes with petite heels and one dangling off the foot. The elegant dame took a deep drag off her holder. Smoke wisps curled from her nostrils as she turned to gaze at them, like a devious recumbent caterpillar who declined to butterfly. A smile spread across her lips as she gestured for Maud to approach. Maddie gently pushed the reluctant Maud forward. As if on cue, silent servants ushered in trays of carved fruit bouquets, sweet dessert bites, and warmed lemon water finger bowls. Maud waved some of the smoke away, Noticed above the fireplace, on the mantel, in a glass cloche, was an old and rusted shaker tin, the kind you might store flour or oats. It seemed out of place in this elegant apartment. Maddie's soft voice smoothed out over her shoulder. Maud? This is Miriam Minerva, my mother. Maud, she's your grandmother. Temperance bounced down the stairs with a rare smile. She was dressed in a draped top and harem pants that gathered the ankle, with matching sequin slippers. Her platinum hair was up in a bun, held in place not with the decorative comb her mother had bought her, but a simple, wooden pencil. She spent all day getting ready for the dinner party, and the pencil, with the name facing outward at just the perfect angle, took most of that time. It was the last full-length pencil in the house, one with the name Duncan proudly stamped into the wood. The pencil and match embargo had driven her mother, Agatha, mad. Not the matches so much, as she had just pressured the help and they had resorted to flint and steel or kept embers alight day and night as to never having to start a fire from scratch. But the pencils Agatha used to write her many scribbled notes that she left around the house and quickly lost track of, and then would rediscover. It was almost like a hobby, as if Agatha was leaving little nibbles of inspiration or distraction as she found Human Flower Charity Auction, or Paint Again But More So, or Don't Forget Thursday Morning! Double exclamation mark. She'd used every available pencil down to the nub, bought as many as she could at a premium, and had just run out. 
She tried telling the staff her thoughts and to remind her, but they quickly got jumbled and it wasn't quite the same. So Temperance bounded down the stairs into the parlor to meet their guests for the evening. And it wasn't until dinner that Agatha Fulcrum and her husband, Cesarin Fulcrum, the salt baron, settled into their seats only to notice the name of their rival, the scummy toughs across the river and kidnappers of their daughter Temperance, the Duncan brothers staring right back at them from the stick of wood in their daughter's magnificent colored hair, and teasing them both with a rude gesture, and taunting Agatha with something as opulent as a full-size riding utensil that would have lasted her a good month of scribbles. Their frustration hidden below well manners was matched by the unusually large grin that Temperance had as she smiled and nodded in conversation with tonight's guest of honor, Lillian Singh. Lillian was the head of Celine's Botanical Society, fighter of the Red Moss of the Duchess Hotel, and currently working to help Maisie Myers to find an antidote to the Blue Lotus Candy. Lillian Singh was normally more comfortable in cargo shorts and a pith helmet. Elbows deep in the rich earth with a trowel or hand-feeding her babies with a syringe, or blasting them with a metal pump sprayer. Lillian was largely uninterested in people, but understood that a certain amount of mingling and social appearances helped grease the wheels of funding for botanical society endeavors. She was home in her hothouse, loved an elaborate carousel bar cocktail, was kind but very easily distracted, which made it almost impossible for her to finish any kind of story. As head of the Botanical Society, she had been positioned to lead the Grand Exposition and its horticultural opulence. She had labored for well over a year designing the exhibits, collecting or even growing the inhabitants so the galleries would be filled with flora that no one had ever seen. The dinner guests could not help themselves. They waited as long as they could, and just before dessert, they pressed her for details of the star attraction. The Amorphophallus titanium, the gargantuan, Corpse. Flower. It is the only one of its kind. Bred just for the expo. It's over six times the size of a regular one. And fed since germination. Dr. Vega has been bathing it in green lamps in its own special hothouse. It takes eight men to feed it. What would normally take ten years has only taken us a few months. And if everything we've done is correct, then she will bloom right at midnight during the ceremony. In the awe of the wake of her description... Dessert was served. Honey figs stuffed with mascarpone. Lillian turned her dish from left to right with a glimmer in her eye. Look at the wonderful mechanism of nature I'd worked to bring us this intricate dessert. Think of the labor of the bee for this clover honey or the figs. I love figs. Wonderful example of obligate mutualism. Just now, as everyone is tasting the lovely taste of figs, we're all also dining on wasps. The fig and wasp rely on each other to perpetuate. The wasp, she climbs inside the unripe fig to lay her eggs. The eggs develop into larva inside the fig. The male wasp fertilize the females, then dig his fib tunnels out of the fig and die in the process. The fertilized females leave the fig covered in pollen and hunts down and climbs inside a new unripe fig and then lays her eggs and dies. Amazing sacrilege of sacrifice and partnership in the natural world, don't you think? The rest of the dinner party paused, staring at their plates, and fought off the vision of eating a swarm of wasps. Temperance ate every last bite of her dessert with glee. Before they could retire to the lounge for some brandy and seance, there was a tremendous interruption. From next door, at the end of Park Row, 
The enormous palatial-like estate of the Spirits Baron lit up with trumpets blaring, blazing torches and colored lights and banners, fog emanating from its many fountains, the gates thrown open, and crowds of mass partygoers flowed into the grounds. The pre-opening night party of the Grand Expo had begun. Agatha's dinner guests ran next door. It was impossible to stop them, and even Agatha was so intrigued. She joined in two. Temperance stayed behind to chat with Lillian, but she excused herself back to the Winter Palace to check on the corpse flower and make sure the partiers didn't try to get a sneak peek. Mizra Kovach, the spirit's baron, stood on its highest balcony, backlit with smoke streaming out from behind him. Top hat and tails, a master of ceremony baton waving over his head as he bellowed, Come on, come on, welcome to the rivers. The crowd streamed past fountains and gardens and pools, a zoo with animals, stilt walkers and fire eaters, and elaborate ice sculptures of mermaids and narwhals and polar bears, into the massive welcoming lobby, where two old friends just happened to bump into each other in the fray. Charity Souter, the archivist for the Lantern newspaper, and Edmund Green, the textiles baron from next door at Mulberry. It had been quite some time since they'd seen each other, and they shared a fond grin. Fancy meeting you here. Edmund, it's so good to see you. You're looking... I know, I know. A bit more pale, and a bit more silver. No, I was going to say... Tired? Tired. Are you eating? Yes, Charity, I am, I suppose. These cold nights are long, and with the difficulties of the factories and the darn Duncan's unions, it's made things difficult. You, on the other hand, are looking quite spectacular. Uh, How's the boy? Enoch? He enjoys being at the paper, spends time with all the old newspapers, really loves touching the old photos and newsprint, but the apartment is never taken to it. I think he messes all the rooms and corners of Mulberry. Sometimes he just stands on the kitchen table with a napkin over his head. Such a strange little fellow. He's welcome any time. Edmund, will you excuse me? This place is a maze. Would you mind waiting for a moment? I just want to powder my nose. Certainly. Locked. I'm locked in here. Edmund. Edmund.
feeling trapped in the attic? And just as a parasite? Looking for a Lenny Penny? Come bask in the emerald green glow of the strange city lying below. Join our Patreon for Selena Cleveland, and Minerva might just let you pick her next solution. Join our Patreon, and no one will ever ask you for anything ever again. And again, 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 and again.